Looking for inspiration to go on extraordinary journeys? UB Cool Talks features the inspiring stories of Red Bull athletes, Olympic champions, National Geographic explorers, and others that will make you want to live your life to the fullest. What are you waiting for? Start listening today. UB Cool Talks is the podcast arm from ubicool.com, the fastest growing online adventure booking platform offering over 70 destinations through partnerships with over 650 companies. In today's UB Cool Talk, we chat with Jason Black, an Irish endurance cycling athlete and the world record holder mountaineer. Jason has taken the highest mountains in the world and is hungry for more. He tells us about his incredible experience on K2, reaching the top of the world on Mount Everest and setting a world record climbing Mount Kilimanjaro twice within less than 24 hours. Get ready to be inspired. Guys, um, first of all, it just gives me great pleasure to be here today. And I'm um, incredibly humbled to be asked to come along to talk tonight. Before we start, guys, I'm Irish. My accent, I hope, is uh, not too difficult to understand. I am very, very conscious coming to your country that uh, I have to slow down and be careful about how I present my voice. So uh, if you can't understand me, please say, hey, Jason, just go back. Tell me that again. It's not about me. Today is not about me as a person. Today is about the celebration of sport, the celebration of the power of the mind and how this really controls our destiny in life and within, with being in control of this that really we are in control of life. Um, I'm just going to tell you a slight bit about who I am um, and where I've come from um, in Ireland and the adventures that I've taken on and where they have brought me to me in my life today and um, how I feel very empowered to share my story uh, in Ireland and across the world. I've been blessed to have been given the opportunity to spend a lot of time in schools uh, talking to young kids, uh, which I feel, I feel personally that it's the greatest summit that I'll ever stand on. It's the greatest finish line that I'll ever get to, is to be able to stand in a classroom in front of young men and women between the age of 13 and 17. Um, that at that age, in this society, in this very modern world, are possibly struggling in life, struggling for leadership, struggling for a direction. And to be able to stand there as a very ordinary person and share my story and just become a very important cog and a very huge wheel and play my role in helping turn that wheel and progress in their life and giving them the... I know inspiration is a big word and it's a word that doesn't really sit too well with me, but just giving them the wisdom and the strength and the personal belief that with the right focus and dedication, commitment and training, they can achieve anything they want in this world and there should be no obstacles in life. So let's just kick off. Jason Black, uh, I'm a very proud Irishman. I'm a very, very proud uh, endurance athlete. So what does a global endurance athlete do? Well, I, I suppose the, the name speaks for itself. I globally travel the world. I have been blessed to get to the four corners of the planet. Um, and to be able to do sports that go super long, uh, they're super tough, and they challenge me physically, but more importantly, they challenge me mentally. Uh, I'm a full-time sponsored athlete. Um, it's my full-time job. Um, 
Mountaineering means a lot to me. Uh, I'm going to speak about my mountaineering life. Uh, I'm a leading mountaineer uh, in Europe. Um, what does leading mountaineer mean in these big titles? Uh, nothing other than uh, I'm a very aggressive climber. Uh, I put myself out there uh, on very, very tough mountains um, and I really want to challenge myself. Um, I play a lot of important roles with huge teams um, and small teams. Uh, we take on huge mountains and I'm going to speak about that. Uh, I do Ironman, uh, we've all done those. Um, I'm recently, I'm a cyclist all of my life. I mean, the bicycle has been my foundation uh, for my sport. Uh, it's allowed me as a young boy growing up uh, using judo and cycling and just sport in general, but cycling has played a major role for me. Um, for the last couple of years, I competed on the UMCA, which is the World uh, Marathon Cycling Association World Endurance Program. So I race uh, all over the world. Wow, who? Well done. So uh, it's a great, great organization. It's an organization that's set up that creates this incredible calendar uh, that encourages athletes from all over the world to participate for the world championship. So there's actually a title, UAMCA World Endurance Champion. Uh, and it takes part on all over the world. America did control a large majority of what we did for a long number of years, but now it's all over the world. And it's great to see that uh, we're gonna have one of the races here now uh, in next week. I suppose the title speaks for itself. Um, I am fearless in the pursuit of my passion, and my passion is my life. And they're not words. I don't just put words on a screen. My life means everything to me. It's a, it's a given, God-given gift from me to be here, to be present, to share and to care and to experience and to pay it forward. It's not something I take for granted. Um, I don't take it for granted at all. Um, sport and the mountains has really taught me the, um, it's taught me the gratitude of being able to uh, share this conversation, to enjoy to enjoy people, to enjoy good conversation, uh, and to encourage to be the best that I can be in life. And I suppose that's really about my bottom line. I want Jason Black, before I depart this world, to be the best that he can be, whatever that is. And it doesn't have to play itself out on Mount Everest or Race Across America or any of these great adventures. It can be just to be a good person. And that's what's really important. It's to be the way we live our life on a daily basis, to be constructively good every day. You're very welcome. Um, I was blessed. Um, blessed and humbled are two words that you're going to hear me use a lot because I am blessed to have stood and humbled to have been there on the summit of Mount Everest. Uh, 29,029 feet uh, in the air. Um, on the 19th of May in 2013 at 7 a.m. And it was a really, really special moment for me to be there. Um, it was incredible. And I'm gonna speak about Mount Everest. Um, that's the summit. Um, that's as distraught as you look when you get to the summit. Uh, it took me two months to get up and down the mountain. Uh, it was a very, very tough climb. Uh, I'm going to speak about my presence on Mount Everest and what route it took. Uh, 2014, crossed the Arctic Circle. We pulled in my sled. I was out solo uh, myself, and I teamed up with a German and an American climber. 
uh, in there. Uh, we got into trouble uh, for six days. We made a cache, which is we, we moved our, our food and our equipment further up and we came back down uh, to recover. Uh, this huge storm came in, cut off all our food supply. We, were, we had no food for seven days and we were trapped, uh, trapped in the Arctic. Um, it was a brilliant journey. Thankfully, the storm lifted. Uh, we were very hungry by the time we found our food, which was buried several meters below the, below the surface, uh, and we were able to dig it out. Uh, a great journey, met incredible people. Uh, Mount Elberist in Russia was another wonderful climb for me. Um, I was able to do it in 18 hours. We talked about Kilimanjaro in 22 and a half hours, but this was equally absolutely incredible for me. Uh, I was able to climb 18, 18,422 foot in the air, and that was rotated 18 hours. So that was from the summit to the top, sorry, that was from the bottom to the top and back down again in 18 hours. And I have to say I was pretty, pretty spent by the time that was done. Uh, that was a tough, tough climb. Um, I was blessed that the weather worked in my favor. Um, the day before, there was, there was massive storms. It looked impossible. Uh, and then we got a window. This is actually the clouds here. So this isn't the surface, this is the clouds. And we're actually standing above the clouds. So it was an absolutely incredible journey. Uh, I got an opportunity to climb Kilimanjaro. It's a, a, a very famous climb in Tanzania in, 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 in the roof of Africa. Fabulous, fabulous country, beautiful people. Absolutely the most gorgeous people uh, in the world. Um, very hospitable. Uh, Kilimanjaro was, was a great climb. I, I wrote to the, the park officials in Tanzania to give me permission to climb through the western breach. So we went from the western side to the summit and back down Burunga and back to the top again. And in 2006, um, the mountain was closed on the western side because there was a, there was a very bad accident with an American team on the western uh, side. And they closed the mountain down on that side. I asked them for permission, could I go in and climb on that side? And it was beautiful because it had the crater rim. Uh, Kilimanjaro has a huge volcano. Um, and on the crater rim on the western crim, on the western side, I was able to climb up in through the crater rim, up onto the summit, uh, got to the summit, uh, myself and uh, another African uh, climber. And I said to him, I had this deep down feeling that I could do it, uh, but I didn't want to say too much until I got to the summit and to see how condition was and how I was feeling. Got to the summit, felt really strong. Now, you take into consideration we were climbing and carrying everything. Our stoves, our gas, our food, our fuel, our water, our equipment, our tents, our everything. So this was a mountaineering first for as a mountaineer. It wasn't a speed climb as in somebody that's just got a pair of runners on and everybody else is doing all the work for you. I carried everything ourselves. So we went from the bottom through the western breach to the summit. Once we got to the summit, dropped right down the far side, turned right around at the park gate and came straight back to the top. Can I tell you, I spent about two weeks in cuckoo land afterwards. I was so tired, but it was absolutely an amazing journey in my life. Uh, Aconcagua in South America, beautiful climb. Um, absolutely the most prestigious climb. This looks very simple and very basic. It wasn't, it was tough. It was a really brutal, hard, tough climb. Uh, 
And I suppose the daddy of them all, the hardest mountain in the world, uh, K2. Uh, K2 currently has 310 successful summits. And if you can put that into the context of all the mountaineers that are from around the world, all the great adventurers from around the world, there's only been 310 people that's ever got an opportunity to stand on the summit of K2. It stands at 28,251 foot in the air. And what makes K2 very different from every other mountain is it's got no relief. As you climb the mountain, it's the whole way. Uh, this is base camp at K2. Uh, I'm just, this is my photograph. I'm just looking straight up at the summit, which is here. There's only two Irishmen has ever um, I tried K2. One of them is still on the mountain. Uh, there. And the other one is standing in front of you here. Um, K2 was a very tough climb for me um, on a whole lot of levels. On a personal level, it was very tough. Um, I had followed the guy that died on the mountain, uh, Jared McDonald, who was an Irishman. If you ever get an opportunity on Netflix to watch a film called The Summit, uh, it's based on Jared McDonald, the Irish climber, and he was part of a Nordic team uh, on the mountain that got into uh, trouble. And uh, they were the, it was the biggest expedition disaster uh, on K2 and Jerry McDonald was a hero uh, for trying to save uh, a Korean team's life um, when, when the other four team members decided to pass and the film explains it in detail. Uh, the summit. Luck speaks for themselves, we're doing some races around Ireland and around the world. Race across America. I'll be lining up here on the 14th of June. And seven days, 10 hours, and eight minutes, I'm going to be there. 3,000 kilometers. Um, and it'll happen. Uh, I'm going to start on the 14th of June. I've been training, I've been training pretty all my life for this. Uh, for this battle uh, and I'm super excited about how we're going to make it happen 3,000 miles 5,000 kilometers so where did it all start I just want to take you right back to let's strip out all of what we've done or what we've achieved and all that let's just go back to the basics so this is me this is my sister Derbla my sister Tanya and my wonderful brother Billy and I titled this photograph, It Only Takes a Tiny Ember to Start a Great Fire. And it really only takes a tiny ember to start a great fire in life. And, you know, as young kids growing up, the world really is our oyster. We don't really know what lies ahead. And we really are involved in the greatest adventure in life. And this photograph was very poignantly taken inside a tent because... That's all I knew as a young boy growing up was adventure life. As a young boy growing up, it was about the great outdoors. It was about tenting and lighting fires and, and being one with nature. Um, 
where the real foundation for what I do today came from was I was blessed to get an opportunity to go into Cubs and Scouts as a young boy, which is an organization that takes young kids to the great outdoors. It's a worldwide organization. I'm sure we're all very accustomed to it. I was a young boy growing up in a very small community in Donegal in Ireland. I don't come from a family of money. Um, my mum worked very hard as a housewife. Um, my daddy was a motor mechanic fixing cars at the side of the house. I'm one of four siblings. I was the oldest. Um, in our home, there was the most wonderful thing called love. And our house was filled with love and care. And it was a great gift. It may not have been a house filled with money and luxuries. Um, there was no silver spoon. Um, my parents installed a great belief in life, in humanity, in nature, in us as kids growing up. And to this day, I'm blessed to have that gift inside me. This is the mountain in Donegal. It's an alpine climb. It doesn't stand anything near the size of any of the mountains that I climb. It's only a thousand meters, a thousand foot. But it's where I played out most of my games, where I trained as a young boy. In Cubs and Scouts, I was, I was delighted to have two leaders in my life. And we all have leaders in our life. We all come across these incredible people in our life that don't realize that they're shaping and creating and guiding us through it, whether it's our teachers, whether it's through our coaches, whether it's through our yoga, whether it's, through, it doesn't matter. In life, we are surrounded by the most incredible influential people, and particularly as young kids, but we don't realize it as young kids. So through Cubs and Scouts, my mentors brought me to the great outdoors. They brought me into the water, kayaking, swimming. They brought me to the mountains where I climbed, they brought me to Mother Nature. And I fell in love with Mother Nature. I absolutely fell in love with Mother Nature. And I didn't realize it, but Mother Nature was my savior in life. Uh, and I'm gonna speak about that. The journey. Well, if we look at everything that we have seen to date, a lot of people would say, it's, sure, it's impossible. You know, when people I get an opportunity to speak to, they sit there and they think, it's impossible. Well, was it impossible what Jonathan's after doing last weekend? Yes, it was at the start line. It looked impossible. And I watched all this YouTube clips and I watched all the Snapchat clips and I watched all the, the Instagram clips that you guys were putting up and can this be done? It's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be... But you know what? He knew. He knew that it was going to be possible. Impossible is nothing. Impossible is nothing. It's a mindset. Now look at impossible again. Look at the word impossible again. Nothing's changed. It's the same letters, but they've just been set up differently. I'm possible. You're responsible for your future. You're responsible for your direction. You're responsible for your life. Where it goes, what direction it takes, that's your call. You're responsible. I'm possible. 
I can stand here today categorically and tell you that I am possible. Whatever I want direction-wise, whatever I choose to set as my goal, and I prepare to train hard, commit, I'm prepared, then it's everything. Absolutely everything. A couple of years ago, I was at a conference and they asked me to sign the map on the wall. I didn't really know what I was signing, but I had read something before. And it was, in dreams we plant the seeds of our future. So unless we don't dream, unless we don't have aspirations to want more, to look for more, dreams really do plant the seeds of our future. They genuinely plant it. Having a dream, an aspiration to be somewhere, to achieve something, to be a better person, they are the seeds of our future. And it all starts with a single step. And it's not about mountains. It's not about bikes. It's not about marathons. It's not about any of those things. Strip all those things away. It all starts the greatest journey in life. Today, tomorrow, next week, next year, starts with that single step of gratitude, mindfulness, commitment, dedication, preparation. That's how it starts. So let's take us to one of the journeys. Let's go straight into, let's go straight into Everest. Uh, this is the gateway. This is the Rumbuck Glacier. So this is where I climbed, up through here. Now I'm still three days away from Mount Everest. This is, now the, this is not even the mountain. This is getting, getting into the mountain. How did, K2, sorry, how did Everest come about? I suppose for years I had been climbing in Nepal and in preparation for, for Mount Everest. And I, I just never, I never, I never believed that I could actually summit Mount Everest. I never believed back then that it was possible. I was climbing, I was doing 5,000 meters, 6,000 meters, 7,000 meters mountains and you know I just one day I just wondered you know was it possible and I, I went back to a journey that had happened earlier in my life and we talked about mentors and how people make impressions in your life back in Donegal at 18 years of age I went to listen to a guy a bit like today and his name was Dawson Stell Fox and he was the first Irishman to ever climb Mount Everest so I went like you, and I was sitting down like you, and he was presenting, like me, about the journey on Everest, about the trials, the tribulations, and the battles that they had to climb the mountain. So I was fascinated by his story, so much so that I stayed back afterwards, and I waited for everybody to leave, and I presented myself to Dawson, and I said, wow, it was just unbelievable. I says, I'm into mountaineering, I'm into climbing, and I said, what I find you doing is very passionate and very inspirational. So he sent me a letter, a framed letter off the mountain. He had it there as a magazine that he was using when he was doing his talks. So I took the letter, went home, and I was sitting down. A couple of days later, I took it back out again and I was reading it. So I expected it to see Dawson Stellfox was his name signed on the, on the piece of paper. 
Instead, what he had wrote on it was the most incredible thing, and it stayed with me for my life. Jason, always follow your dreams in life. Always follow your dreams in life. So for years and years and years, I never thought about this, follow your dreams in life. That, yeah, look, that's for somebody else. That's not for me. You know, that's not possible. So then, eight years before Mount Everest, I took it back out again, and I was climbing and through Nepal, and I said to myself, wow, always follow your dreams in life. So my dream was always to go higher and higher and higher and higher, and the ultimate being Mount Everest. So then I wondered, wow, could I really follow my dream in life? So I started the journey eight years beforehand. And I'm just before I start Mount Everest, I want to tell you two, thir- two parts of my life which was very damaging, very, very tough, and it probably made me the person that I am today. So I went to secondary school in Letterkenny. I'd grown up in a national school, lovely small national school, great environment, left there, went to secondary school, and from the first day I went through the gates of the school, I fell to the hands of a bully. For six years, that absolutely destroyed my life. I don't have an education. I'm standing here today with no qualifications. I don't have a senior qualification or junior qualification in school. Is it because I'm stupid? No. It's because the bully every day from 9 a.m. to 4.30 destroyed my life. And even when I'm telling you now, the hairs are still standing on the back of my neck. For six years, what that felt like to go through the gates of that school. And I never told anybody, and I never told my mom and dad, or I didn't tell anybody, because I could see that life at home was tough enough, and that I didn't want to go home and bring more hardship to my mom and dad. So I chose to bottle it up, suck it up, take it on the chin, and deal with it. And it's the sorriest thing I'd done. I should have told somebody. I should have had the courage to speak up, speak out, and do something about it. So what I'm saying to you today is that if you know of something, someone being bullied, have more strength than I had, do something about it. If you don't help, you may as well be the bully or the bully's left hand. If it's not in school or home or life or family. So fast track a few years later, I came out of school and I was faced with a very difficult uh, path. I was 17 years of age and another catastrophic event happened. Uh, I lost my mommy to my mother to cancer. Um, I'd just come out of college and she had breast cancer and um, sadly left this world at a very young age of 45 years of age. Um, I'm now 45 years of age and I would hate to think that I had to leave this world tomorrow morning. Um, She was a beautiful woman um, and she left me so many beautiful gifts and I miss her dearly. Um, So Another wonderful woman came into my life, my wife, Sharon. Um, you should see a photograph of her in a while. She's incredible. 
Um, she really is incredible. Um, she's 50% the success of what I do. Um, she gives me the support uh, to follow my dreams in life and to achieve them. Um, and what, a lot of what I do is selfish. There's no question about it. It's challenging. Uh, I've got four wonderful kids. Why should I go to a mountain that I may never come home from? Um, but in somebody else's hands, I present my life and entrust uh, to return. And I do take the steps. I do take the very strong steps to ensure that nothing goes wrong. And I have a commitment to Sharon that if I get to a point on any expedition that things aren't working, or I get to a point where it's not making any sense, I have the confidence, unlike the confidence that I had with dealing with the bully, to turn around and come back. Because why? The mountains are going nowhere. The adventures are still going to be there. There's no point in me not being there. So things happen in threes in people's lives. Um, my wonderful brother, Billy, uh, I just got married to Sharon. Uh, we couldn't afford a honeymoon to go away. We were just newly married. So uh, my brother was living in Philadelphia in America, um, which, uh, in which state the race across America is going to finish this year. Um, we went to America to Billy because we couldn't afford uh, a honeymoon. He says, come out to me. I've got the accommodation. So we got the flights. We went out. We spent a wonderful two weeks with my brother. And on the 11th hour, on the last day, myself and my brother went out on the motorbikes together and we had an accident and Billy was killed. And um, he was my best friend. Um, he was my arch enemy at sport. He was, uh, he was everything to me as well. Um, we fought, we fell in, uh, we were as thick as thieves. Uh, we were one year apart. Uh, we went on, on incredible journeys and adventures as young boys growing up. So that was another catastrophic uh, part of my jigsaw puzzle. Um, and why do I share that with you? You know, what, what, what benefit is there in me coming here and pouring out my negative experience um, in, in, a, in a life? Well, you'll see later on how those negatives were turned right around to a positive. And in actual fact, the loss of life uh, wasn't lost, it was gained, and the strength was incredible. And it's given me the humbleness to be here today to share my story. And Mount Everest, that's where it played itself out. Mount Everest didn't happen to be just a mountain. What actually happened on Mount Everest for me was incredible. See, what I didn't realize was I didn't mourn the bully. I didn't deal with the bully. I didn't deal with my mommy's death. I didn't deal with my brother's death. I went to climb a mountain and I wasn't at camp too. And what I've experienced on mountains and mother nature was that in this world here that we live in, life is so loud and it's full of mobile phones it's got family life it's busy we've got businesses we are on the go non-stop it's just 100 miles an hour that's a modern society that we live in what i found is when i go to the mountains the silence is deafening it is so deafening it's not funny 
And what I found was on Mount Everest, in particular Mount Everest, because I was there for two months, was that the noise every day was about my past. It raised its head again. The bully came back. My brother's death came back. And my mother's death came back. And I had to start mourning again. I was, you know, I was there and I was angry. I was giving out. I was like, I'm here to climb a mountain. Leave me alone. The tears were flowing from me. And I had to go through all the steps of that journey again. But it was incredible. That's one of the views from Camp 6. Absolutely breathtaking. Um, so how do you climb Mount Everest? Well, I spent eight years preparing in Nepal for Mount Everest. Um, I'd spent a lot of the time up through the north side of Mount Everest, uh, Amundeblang, Island Peak, Manasalu, all these different climbs. So, you know, you're getting from 5,000 to 6,000 to 7,000, 7,500, and then you're into the big guns of 8,000 meters. You've got to ask for permission to climb the mountain from the Nepalese government. Uh, it is the aviation authorities that give you your license to climb it. Um, when I was in the north side of Mount Everest, um, I had witnessed um, a lot of money that were buying um, porters and Sherpas. And, you know, there was a lot of uh, large companies, commercial companies that were, I suppose, for the want of a word, prostituting on the mountain, uh, prostituting on the people, prostituting on the culture of the people. And I thought it was, I thought it was terrible. I absolutely thought it was despicable. Uh, these large teams would come in with a lot of money and with a lot of wealthy people and would pay extortionate amount of money and would bully the porters, would bully the Sherpa, would bully the communities. Would, as they left the mountain, they would leave the, the, the oxygen behind them, the garbage behind them, their poo behind them, all these things that should not happen on the mountain. The, 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 the disrespect that they had for the greatest gift that we were given in life, um, Mother Nature, the playground of the world was incredible. And it was, it was just down to the dirt and filth of money uh, that it was happening. And I didn't like it. So I said that if I was going to climb Mount Everest, it was not going to be in the north side of Mount Everest where the commercialization was in full swing. When you go onto YouTube, you can see it. Big teams and lines and people carrying their gear up. And I had spent all my life solo. My life had been, I've had to survive in my life that way. I've had to survive the bully that way. I've had to survive the death that way. I've had to survive as a kid that way. And I wasn't going to get people carrying my gear up the mountain for me and putting in my lines for me. So I chose to go to the south. Sorry, the, I was talking about the south side. I chose to go to the north side of Mount Everest. So I went through Tibet and through and into China. And I climbed up through the Rumbuk Glacier in, in, in the north face. Um, there was 24 climbers from around the world that were granted permission to climb the North Face. It's, it is possibly the most challenging side uh, of Mount Everest. Um, what I found really, really special about that side of the mountain was that on that side of the mountain, there was no safety net. There was no hospitals, no doctors, no helicopters, nothing. If you're going to climb Mount Everest on the North Face, it's you and it's the mountain. And for me, that was special. That's what really, really set me on fire. So, tragedy stakes on Mount Everest. That's the summit. That's the summit. This is the yellow band. 
8,000 meter yellow band that travels right around the mountain here. Uh, this is just below uh, Camp 6. Uh, serious mushroom rock uh, right up to the top. Uh, that's the route there. So we came from here, back to here, and back down to here. That's, uh, we're in trouble here at the minute. We've got a Canadian climber with us, uh, Monique, Monique Richards. Monique is probably one of the strongest female climbers in the world. Absolutely incredible athlete. Beautiful, beautiful athlete. Monique was trying to climb Mount Everest without oxygen, uh, which very few in the world have ever been successful to do, certainly on the north face. Uh, on the south face, it's slightly easier because you've got more vegetation below and it's throwing up a, a vegetable uh, oxygen enriched environment, whereas on this side, it's, uh, it's very low in oxygen because of the low vegetation uh, at a lower level. Um, I was climbing with um, Monique. I could see Monique right in front of me. Um, she was slowed down very, very much. And when I got up alongside her, her face was blue. Her lips were blue. Um, she was lo she'd lost a lot of the oxygen out of her body. And just even to explain oxygen, I mean, we're here in this room and we've got 100% oxygen, uh, which has been supported here with the air, air handling unit. But we've got 100% oxygen. We don't have to breathe, think about breathing. But at that state, at that state there, now, whenever I was here, just above this point, we were down to record, we recorded 16% oxygen at that point. Now, 16% they're putting us on the life support machine here in the local hospital. At this point here, we're, we're pretty low on gas at this stage. We're really, really low on oxygen. We're 6,800 meters, 7,000 meters at this point. And she was in trouble. Um, this guy here, uh, he came up, he was down below, he came up to help. And he ended up taking Monique back down the mountain and we saved her life. I met Monique on K2 by coincidence uh, two years ago. And she didn't realize that it was us that saved her life on, K on Mount Everest. It was only over a conversation with a cup of coffee. She couldn't remember anything. And um, whenever she left the mountain, she couldn't remember what happened. Unfortunately, Everest is Everest. And as the stories go, um, I suppose as mountaineers, we know we take the, the biggest sacrifices in our life in our hands and we pay the biggest penalty, I suppose, in, in sport all my life, uh, whether it's Ironman, cycling or long endurance sport. If we choose to give up, I can get off my bicycle, turn around, give my bike to my team or a car will pull up, I can get in, I can go home and that's it over and I'm, I'm recovered for this year. Last point, three areas of goal setting that absolutely infuriate me. One is comfort goal setting. <coughs> Discomfort goal setting and the people that are completely disillusional. What does that look like? That's me eating pizza. In a, in a nutshell, comfort goal setting is made up of people that are setting goals that are just easy. They just get up in the morning, easy. They don't even have to think about it. It is the most destroying goal setting environment to exist in. Forget about this goal setting. It is, if, if you want to live in a world that is just moving along and you're not challenged, there's, it's not creating any imagination, it's not, it's not compelling you enough, it's, there's no innovation involved in it, well then this is where you should be. But it's a, it's a, it's a soul-destroying environment to be in. This is where you want to be. 
discomfort, and I have a lot of discomfort going on. This is the zone to be in. This is the zone I encourage you to be in and your siblings to be in and the people that you leave this room to encourage them to be in. It's a discomfort zone that challenges you. It challenges you, but what it does most of all is that it focuses you and it keeps you committed. These are, these are challenges that are they're not, they're not up there. They're just there. They're just up there nicely. And you've got to train really hard, work really hard, and prepare to get there. You're afraid of the zone. Why? Because there's an element of fear, uncertainty. It's a path that we don't, we've never been down before. You know, can I? Will I? Could I? Should I? There'll be self-doubt. There'll be self-doubt about this exact zone. Have I got the skills to get there? You know, do I have the skill set built in to achieve it? But then you've got to train, you've got to prepare, you've got to commit. But when you commit and when you succeed in this zone, you have brought your, you've brought your level, uh, human performance level to a whole new world. And you are invincible. Because when you understand the mechanic of how to do it, that baby steps environment, and you do it, everything, everything from there on in is easy. And this is the one you want to avoid. That's me on a small bicycle. I'm never going to run away. I'm never going to run a bike on a, on a bike, I guess. It's a disillusional zone. speaks for itself. People are setting their, their up here that high. I want to earn 8 million euros next year or 8 million ram next year or whatever, but I don't have a plan. I don't know how I'm going to get there. You're disillusional. It's destructive. Uh, you give up on your goals. You think, you know what, goal-setting process, it doesn't exist. It's a load of rubbish. I'm never going to do that again. I just give up. And then all of a sudden, you go back to the very first zone, the comfort zone, and you just cruise through life. It is as destructive. This zone, a disillusional zone, to try to operate in is as destructive as the comfort zone. This com or the, the comfort zone at the very start. Zone two is the zone to be in. Being thankful is probably ungrateful for what we have. Having gratitude in our life is probably one of the best mindfulnesses we have. Who we are, what we are, and what we stand for. I suppose before I finish up, uh, if, I'm, if, if I was to ask you to listen to this part of my jigsaw puzzle more than anything else, it's here and now. Um, being proud of who you are and be thankful for what we have is the greatest gift. What the mountains have taught me and what sport has taught me is that I'm proud of me as a person. Society has this box and they all try to put us into this box. And in some cases, if we don't fit into the box, we don't fit into society. Well, to hell with society and to hell with that box because I want to be individual. I want to be Jason Black. And I encourage each and every person I meet to be themselves. Does that mean that we don't conform to some rules? Or does that mean that we don't respect some um, religious beliefs or uh, creativity in our life? No, it doesn't. That means the opposite. It means that we do. But it allows us within that fabric to be us as individuals. Be proud of who you are, what you are. Be proud of your parents. Be proud of... When I stood on the summit of Mount Everest, it all came through. 
the pride in myself that I felt was incredible, the pride that I had in my mum and my dad, my grandfather, my granny, the pride that I had in my country and the, the, the fact that I was carrying the flag above my head was incredible. Be proud of what we stand for. Uh, be thankful for the gifts that we've been given. I am I'm, I'm so obsessive about my family. This is my daughter, Laura. This is my daughter, Kate. This is my son, Billy. Um, they're with me. Um, family's everything. It, it's, it is absolutely everything. Uh, winning is only half of it. Having fun is the other half. Uh, it's really important in life to have fun. Uh, we take it serious on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, this is my incredible wife, my daughter, Laura. This is my sister, Derbla. Uh, uh, this is my words they speak for themselves life is an expedition sometimes a battle full of the unexpected sometimes we focus on the destination and we forget about the journey sometimes we focus on the destination and we forget about the journey the journey is the summit the journey is the adventure the journey is the success But when you fall, it always allows you to get up stronger. It allows you to trust in your own understanding, dream bigger, believe in yourself, and find your purpose. Find your purpose in this world. Um, I just want to play this video. Um, it's my last clip uh, before I do. Um, Melina, I would just like to say a huge thank you for giving me an opportunity to be here today. Um, I'd like to thank each and every person that's come to hear, to hear what I've had to say. Um, thank you, Bikul, and all the staff and the networks that I've been working with over the last while. Um, please, please, please take that positive message forward. I really hope today that in a clouded jigsaw puzzle of my life, that there was some nuggets of gold in there that you can take away and, and just store and really make you stronger and give you that belief that life is really worth living and having good, strong, constructive goals. And they're not Mount Everest. They are what you choose them to be, are worth striving for in life. Do it with manners, do it with respect. Have, be humble in your life. Be thankful for what we have. Um, Noon, thank you very much for the uh, opportunity to stay in your wonderful hotel and looking after me. Are you ready for an adventure? We thought so. We present to you the first online adventure platform in the world. You be cool! Now you can book desert camping, hiking or diving at the click of a button. If you need a cool adventure, think you be cool! For more information, check ub-cool.com. This has been a Ubicool talk. You can catch us every other Wednesday of the month with an inspirational talk of famous adventures. Thank you for listening. We will catch you next time, explorer!